All right, everybody, welcome to episode eight of the MXU video podcast. Um, episode eight, it seems like we've been doing this for forever, and yet it's still only episode eight, and yet it's kind of cool that it is episode eight. So, welcome to my uh, friends who join me every uh, every time we do one of these, Rusty Anderson and Zach Kimry. How are you boys doing today? Good, man. Doing great. I don't know why you made me get up so early to do this. I feel I like know. my voice is not awake yet. I know. Same. I, I had to wake up a little bit extra uh, just to make sure that I'm up and ready. Um, so you are terrible. Thanks. I know. Thanks for... we. I mean, the reality is we have other jobs that have to get done. So, you know, we sometimes have to wake up early to make all this happen, coordinate schedules and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, here we are early in the morning recording a podcast about video and i'm excited about today's topic but um before we dive into that uh what have you guys been up to recently as we record this it's like middle of the summer this is going to release a few weeks from now give anybody context so uh what have you guys been up to well i just got back from well i say just got back two weeks ago Kim and I went on a vacation. So we had this thing where if it's just Kim and I, we call it a vacation. And if the boys come, it's called a trip because nothing oh, with a 10 year old and a six year old is a vacation. Uh, so Amen. we went on a five day cruise and, uh, it was incredible. If you've never been on a cruise, I highly suggest it. You know, a four to five day is a really good one. If you're worried about it, do a three day. But I mean, I can I might could do a seven, if it was on a big boat, so there's plenty of stuff to do. Um, but yeah, it was good to get away. I literally put my phone in airplane mode on a Thursday afternoon and I did not take it back out until Monday morning. And that was the greatest thing I have done in years. That's great. So where did you guys go? What, what area? Uh, the Bahamas, but Kim and I don't really care to get off the boat. Uh, cause on the boat, everything's paid for. And, right. you know, you just enjoy it. And the boat gets pretty empty when you get to a port because everybody else gets off and goes and uh, does excursions and that type of thing. And on our very first cruise years ago, we did excursions. And then after that, we was like, nah, we'll just stay on the boat and uh, enjoy that time. That's great. So Bahamas with the weather nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the first time we've gone in the middle of the summer on a cruise before we've gone in January. And in September, and uh, it was hot. I will say that yeah. in the middle of the ocean, uh, even with yep. the boat moving, it's hot. Yeah. Well, good. You sweat out some of that, uh, some of those uh, toxins, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's those beverages you enjoy. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> will yeah. say that. Uh, not if uh, if I don't know how to word that. The drink pass is worth it. Let's just say okay. that. There you go. Uh, if you ever go and you would like to have a couple drinks in a day, then I would highly recommend the drink pack pass. It's a sticker shock, but you know, it's <laughs> definitely worth it. I'm pretty sure somebody it was just upfront sticker shock or, you know, death by a thousand cuts. That's right. Which one do you want? Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm sure somebody has this uh Google Sheet, shared Google Sheet out there that does the math on Probably. like how yeah. Um well that's great. Love that. I love that you Glad guys you guys enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. My last cruise, I don't know if I can ever cruise again. My last cruise was for work, actually, but it was February 2020. And while we were on the boat, we got word of other boats being, you know, locked up in docks because of this yes. crazy virus that was starting. Some kind of a 
kind of scared to get on a boat again. That was my own. I've only been on one cruise, and that was when I was on the same cruise Rusty was on that I was doing work for. So it's crazy. Uh, I need to actually go experience a cruise that's like not not a corporate uh, outing. Anyway. Oh, so. and I would like to add that uh, we got a new puppy. So that's oh, pretty, pretty exciting. Congrats. In our house. Yeah. This is like real fresh, right? Real fresh, as in two days ago. So if you've ever been to our house, you know, in years past and met Axel, you know how near and dear a bulldog is to Kim's heart. So we got a Merle bull, Merle colored bulldog. It's a female. Her name is Luna. Uh, we picked that name after Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter because our whole family loves Harry Potter and she is the sweetest thing. And I just want to go back home. Everybody thinks it's for Kim and the boys, but I love that dog just as much. And uh, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Did you surprise them with that or was that planned? The boys had no idea. Kim knew that I, w- that I was looking and considering. We started talking about it about two months ago. Like, all right, I think we are probably ready for this. And so she knew I was going to look. And uh, I had been looking for probably a month and a half or so, just on like the AKC website, trying to find a litter. Didn't really see anything I liked um, and then saw this one. And went to look at um, a different colored uh, uh, female and got there and I saw this one and I was like, well, I knew when I, when I saw her that I was leaving with that dog. So, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, congrats. The next, uh, what, six months of your life is going to be painful. but Oh, yeah, training. for sure. Yep. Does it take that long? Yeah, but it depends on how you do it. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've had to do it. So it's probably been, it's been twelve <laughs> years since we've had to do it. But uh, we at least knew what we were getting into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rusty, what have you been up to? You've you've had quite the uh, eventful summer, I think. Yeah. So uh, I started off the summer taking some time off just to be home uh, with the kids for the first couple weeks of summer, and then hit the road for like four weeks straight. Um. So I was down in Miami and did a VU conference. It's my first time uh, working with those guys. Um, shout out to John, Oliver, and the whole crew down there. It was, it was a great event. had a great time video directing for VU conference. Uh, got to work with our friend Chase, Chase Lights again, which has been a while. So that was fun. Uh, and then went basically left straight from there uh, to Dude Perfect Tour. So Miami to Little Rock for some rehearsals and... Uh, I did three weeks of Dude Perfect video directing for that, which was super fun. We can talk a little, little bit about that later, but it was fun to do a um, a non music tour. You yeah. know, you get to like kind of stretch your mind and your creativity and present some different challenges. So that was great. Three weeks of that. Uh, last week, the family vacation, we, we, a trip we do every year. We go to upstate New York and like the Ithaca area to visit uh, Kirsten's grand, grandfather who I'm going to get this wrong, but basically his family has been on the same plot of land farming it for, you know, since before America was founded. Um, pretty wild. So it's a, it's a really fun trip to go up there and kind of unplug and live a slower lifestyle, go on the farm, drive a tractor, go fishing, that kind of stuff. Kids loved it this year. Played a lot of golf up there because uh, our kids are getting into it. My son Luke is like golf fever right now. That's great. Which is super fun for me. Yeah. Um, uh, so all the time you'll just watch. He'll be around the house and he's just doing air swings, you know, all the time. 
Um, so that was fun. And then I got a little bit of a break here uh, towards the end of summer to um, kind of just wind down and have some family time. So it's been good. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, you just got back from like a road trip yeah, extravaganza. We did. We did. We've been planning a road trip. Uh, oh, not we. I've been planning a road trip that I've somehow suckered my wife and kids into doing with me uh, for a long time. Last summer we were going to do it. Then it got postponed. And then I was like, all right, we're going to do it this year. So yeah, we did um, a 20 day road trip from Atlanta all the way up to uh, Northern Montana Glacier National Park. Saw a bunch of cool stuff in between. Um, it is the, you know, being in the South, I, I'm 41 now and I've never um, experienced like Glacier or Yellowstone. I've never, we never traveled like that as a family growing up. And I've never, my career, I've never traveled like that. I've flown into cities, but I've never experienced like national parks and, you know, like, driving. So, um, it was really fun to go mile by mile across the country and see, I mean, the amount of cornfields and the amount of fireworks stands across middle America. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It is like, yeah, America is built on fireworks stands and cornfields. Um, so, uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, we had a blast. Um, my crew, my family's troopers. We did 6,000 miles in our truck and pulling a 32 foot camper. And, uh, it was awesome. It was a really good experience and I encourage everybody to, to, uh, do it. I've got quite the itinerary. So if anybody wants to, you know, get some advice, I'm, I'm more than willing to share because we learned a lot of what to do and not to do, um, when doing a big massive road trip cross country, pulling travel trailer. So yeah, it was fun. How many tires did you blow out? <laughs> Zero tires. I had one flat wow. tire. Uh, yeah. So uh, pulling into Nashville, like mile 6,000, uh, we came out of a Cracker Barrel from eating breakfast in the morning and the tire was flat. Not, uh, it was almost flat. So I limped along to a truck stop and um, uh, the inside of that tire had um, been worn all the way almost through. So it was close mm. to blow out. Yeah. But that's good. Like, what was the. You know, best thing you saw or something that exceeded your expectations? Yellowstone exceeded my expectations. So we had three nights inside the park at Yellowstone, which was, I thought wasn't going to happen because of floods, but we were able to. Um, the uniqueness and the, and the scale at which Yellowstone National Park is and the, like the canyons and then you got the geyser stuff and the water features. It's just like, it's unbelievable. And, and the wildlife, it's unbelievable the amount of, diversity of and you can see why it's a is why it's a national park because it's like the most unique thing in my opinion i haven't been to the grand canyon yet so i haven't seen that side of like uh, you know kind of the southwest side um but it it was by far exceeded my expectations of what yellowstone would be like um we went out and we fished on the lake we did hikes we drove every road there is to drive in Yellowstone, see every, we saw every animal there is to see, with the exception of bighorn uh, sheep or whatever, rams or whatever. Yeah, anyway, we didn't see those, but saw a lot of things. It was fun. It's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what we've been up to. Uh, just got back, back in the saddle and ready to rock and roll. Um, so, 
Yeah, I'll probably post on my Instagram some of the uh, fails because there's quite. I took some pictures along, like we. Uh, I I post on Instagram along the way, like where we're at and all that kind of stuff, just as a way to catalog the journey. Um, but then I'm gonna post some fail pictures because there was definitely things that went wrong that you have to learn how to deal with. So, yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to see that for sure. Yeah. Um. So that yeah, that's to be, uh, to be coming. Um. Zach, I'm I'm curious. You recently, we got to kind of hurry up here, but you recently, you're, you're a couple months into a new uh, gig. Yeah, uh, you're you know the former tech director at Elevate Elevation, and now you're with SES Integration. So I'm really curious. We haven't really talked about this on the podcast. So, uh, what is your like couple of learnings? You know, now being in a new gig, and um, you guys support churches really across yeah. the country. So what 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 have you been lear- learning recently? Man, it's really cool to kind of take the knowledge that I have and what I did at Elevation and just kind of share it, you know, with other churches. Um, I think that was something that, you know, when I transitioned that Kim and I talked about or just continuing. That was one of my passions was just to continue to be able to help churches. Um, and it's been really awesome to be able to do that, to, you know, make more even more connections now other than just an Instagram message. But like, just say, hey, reach out let me know how I can help you or help answer questions. Um, it's been cool to get back out into, I shouldn't say the real world. Um, I often treated Valentine like the real world because of the level of production that it was on. Um, I didn't classify it as the church world. I I don't like that term even for a, a lot of people, um, especially on the production side. There are a lot of aspects of church being church, but when you come to the production side, I think even at small churches, um, I don't really want people to classify it as church production because it is at the end of the day, it's the same gear that production companies are using in the real world. Um, but it, it's been cool to get back out. Um, I helped the guys. Um, one of our installers was on vacation. Um, and so I went up and helped install a new Kara 2 system at Jiffy Lube Live in Bristow, Virginia. Um, so I spent two weeks up there outside in the middle of the summer, um, but taking down the old lawn delay system and putting up this new uh, system, the uh, audio guys would be extremely proud because it sounds amazing. Uh, L Acoustics came out and tuned it. I'm pretty sure that someone from across the pond actually came over and tuned it. Uh, that happened while I was on uh, vacation. So I was like, well, I hope it sounds good. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been cool to do that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went up to a site that we had just upgraded for, um, for a church in Raleigh here, and they had put in a Ultrix and an Ultrix Carbonite. Um, so that was really cool to help get that uh, configured and turned on and going for them and, you know, taking my knowledge from Elevation because they had come from a much smaller switcher um, and they just wanted to upgrade for what they were doing and kind of future-proof themselves um, and so taking what I knew about what they needed to do and taking some of my knowledge that I had and just, and helping get them a, a carbonite configured for their best, uh, use, you know, that's been, that's kind of like where I was wanting to go with things of, uh, just helping everyone, helping churches, um, you know, doing things that I've learned over the years, not doing things that I've been burned by, you know, there's no reason for someone else to be burned by something that any of us have learned. Um, right. So just kind of yeah. like sharing knowledge with everyone is, it's been, that's been a very, uh, good for my soul to just be able to do that. Yeah. 
I think uh, maybe you sharing the same thing, but as I talk to churches, especially over the last two years being at Ross, like the state of church tech is actually really, really good. Like there yeah. are some amazing churches, amazing people out there. I think similar to the MXU podcast about, uh, you know, are all churches toxic? I think there is just such good people out in the world running church production. And, you know, there's really great churches out there. I think um, we tend to uh, see churches in a different light, depending on who we work for, what churches we yep. have. But I think, uh, Zach, you probably see some really good stuff out there and not yeah, for sure. all things are bad in church production. Yeah, yeah yep. definitely. Um, cool. Uh, so let's, we've kind of, uh, talked a lot about what we're doing with our lives. Uh, Rusty, I, obviously we want to talk about dude. Perfect. Cause I think dude. Perfect is, uh, wildly fascinating. Zach and I were able to, uh, get up to Charlotte. Uh, well, I came up to Charlotte. Zach was already there, obviously. Uh, so we brought our family crews to the dude. Perfect show in Charlotte. You were there. Um, the dude. Perfect event is wildly fascinating obviously they are like super popular my kids love them it's like yeah I, I think we watch at least an episode a day yep. and multiple at least the same episode over and over and over i'm like y'all know how this like you know the ending they're like yeah we don't care so like it's amazing uh what these guys have done and um furthermore it's amazing their story in their heart um for and, and their faith um but what was it like working on a tour live tour that is not a concert show is not a ted talk it is like it's um it, there's a lot of moving pieces i have so many questions so i think like i don't know where to start other than like what asking you what was it like to be a video director of one of the most popular youtube sensations like i don't know they have like 60 million subscribers on youtube or something it's right. crazy so what was it like yeah, so it was cool for me because obviously, I mean, I have an eight-year-old boy, six-year-old girl, and they, they, like you said, they love watching it. So, I mean, I don't, I don't tour anymore. I stopped touring in twenty fifteen or so, because um, back then, you know, I toured with Chris Tomlin, did Outcry tour, it's like a traveling festival basically, um, and it just it was it was tough on my family, right? So we had two young kids at that point, and decided to get off the road, and and that's when I went to work at Passion full time. Um, so it's been a while since I've toured. Uh, but when this opportunity came along, it was like, well, I, I want to be the cool dad, honestly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to tell my kids yeah. that I'm directing for dude. Perfect. Um, so this was their third tour and I've, it just hasn't worked out the previous two, two tours. So I was, you know, excited. This one did work out. Um, but overall, I mean, first off, just incredible crew, incredible team, um, at premier productions and 46 entertainment. So like my experience was great. You know, all I had known was like my previous touring days, um, where honestly just, you know, the, the crew was really thin. You had really small, uh, stagehand calls. And so you just, you felt like you were working 18 hour days every day. Um, but this tour, I felt like we really staffed it well, crewed it well. And so I was able to really just focus on my craft. Right. So I, all I was really in charge of is setting up cameras, figuring out where to put them. How are you going to best tell the story of what's happening? Um, around the arena. So being able to focus on that was really great. Um, and what was, I kind of didn't know going into it, like, I didn't know what to expect as far as, um, obviously these guys make content all the time. That's what they do, right? So they, and then when they started, they were the, filming their own stuff and editing their own stuff. So I, I didn't know like how much 
are they going to have input? Do they care what it looks like? Um, and what was really fun was to get on site uh, at rehearsals. And we did a few run throughs before the the dudes got there, just so we could like figure out, um, you know, kind of get our footing. And then once they came in, they started running through stuff and actually doing the uh, all the battles and all the segments. Um, they would throw out, you know, throw out ideas and change some stuff to make it fit better for the room or fit better for their their audience. And uh, it was fun to to kind of interact with them and uh, talk about you know, where should this camera go to best capture what you guys are going to do? And they were super uh, like interested in how it was going to look and how it was going to, how it was going to be told. Um, and so that collaboration part was actually really fun and really cool. Uh, Cause they, they've done it, they know how to do it, but they also know that I know how to do it in a live space. And so that back and forth was really fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall an incredible experience and uh, yeah, it's not music. So it, it was, not creative in that way, but it was creative in a different way of, hey, we're going to be running out, running down the stage, jumping off a trampoline, doing backflips into a basketball goal. How do you shoot that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, and, um, and it's not like a, you get you don't get three days to set up big jibs and dollies and things like that. Totally. It's a very like simple camera package because you have to tour with it. Yeah. So it's how you have two tripods and three handhelds and you have some Marshall like POVs you can put around the stage. But you know, every segment requires an entire stage changeover. So any POV camera that you plug in, you have to take it down five minutes later mm. so that the whole stage transition can happen and, then, and clear all your cables so they can move stuff on and off the stage. Um, so a lot of moving pieces. So did you work for, you work through all that? Like you were hands-on and figuring out like, oh, we need to do this here, but this, then this cable gets cleaned up and moved over here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So during rehearsals, we kind of played with some different options, uh, and then Dean, who's our engineer, you know, he would, he would, he's basically the one that has to do those things because during the show, I'm actually on the console. I can't get up and go move cameras. Right. So we would work together on how, figuring out a plan of how to do that, and then when it comes to actually executing it, he was the one that was going to do it. Um, so yeah, it was great. Wow. So you had five cameras. That's your setup. Yep. Plus some two front of house sticks, and then like two handhelds in the pit. So basically like downstage edge on the floor and then one on stage handheld. Yeah. And uh to give if if you listen to this, you can just uh Google uh twenty twenty two dude perfect tour. You'll see some pictures of what the arena's the kind of the setup looked like. So there's LED walls involved. Um and then so what were you responsible for when it came to like content on the LED wall and you know, what 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 were you doing? Just camera cut or are you managing graphics? Yeah. So that was another kind of a nice way that it was set up. So there's one massive LED wall upstage, and it was entirely controlled by a disguise server. Okay. Um, so all I was doing was sending two. I had like you know two different MEs that I could send to the server, a main, and then one that we use for like different looks, like a, a back, like an auxiliary. And um, so all I was doing was camera cut. So if you were to look at my program feed, there are large sections where it doesn't make any sense, right? Because I'm just sending a, a camera and then they put it in the right spot that it needs to be um, on the wall. Cause every segment had like a really, a really designed look to it. So if we did cool, not cool, then the IMAG was inside of a border that had the branding for cool, not cool um, and stuff like that. So every segment kind of had its own look. Uh, so different framing, different framings for every segment. Sometimes you needed a lot of headroom. Sometimes you needed super tight headroom. 
Uh, so just kind of going through all those looks and taking notes, that was kind of a challenging part, but was it was fun. Um, so yeah, all videos, most videos came off of uh, the server. We had some, we had ProPresenter running some scoreboard, like some scoring graphics for a couple of the segments. Uh, it, it ran a couple of videos for a couple of special segments. Um, and then I had, yeah, so my five, I think I ended up using eight cameras, uh, different parts throughout the night. So eight cameras hitting the switcher and I was just sending the program output to the servers. Got it. Were you recording that program? I guess, does it get reviewed in any way or, or is there a camera that's reviewing the whole thing? Is there any way of doing Well, that, that was kind of the tricky part, right? Cause we, yeah, we were recording. Um, and I think we were kind of like, we were broadcasting on Resi so that at the end of the night, anybody, any that, anybody that needed to review it could review it. Got it. But it's not a true program, right. right? What we recorded, we didn't have an output from D3 from the server that had all the looks in it. So it was a camera cut recording. Yeah. Uh, but if you were to watch that, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Got it. I didn't know if there was like, um, you know, a review camera set up, like seeing the rig. So you you didn't necessarily see the rig. Like you didn't see all the big looks. Not and, super unless well. Unless your camera's I, got it. Yeah, sometimes I would have camera one zoom out and show me the whole rig. Okay. If I needed to see it. We did have like a little Marshall setup at front of the house as like a, you know, a rig, like an eye in the sky kind of shot. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it was too overexposed. You couldn't tell what it, oh, yeah, what yeah, it was, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those things are kind of hard to use. Yeah. I know when I was, uh, when we were experiencing, we we're sitting in the audience, experience it for the first time, knowing that you were back on the switcher. I, I was like, how is he managing this? Because the, I mean, you got one segment that's happening on this thrust, and the next segment there's, you know, the auditorium is uh, on one side in the upper deck. There's two guys. The other side of the, you know, the arena. Yeah, they use guys. the whole arena. Yeah, yeah like they definitely. And it's do. like crazy, and uh, like how you're man. It it was flawless. I was waiting for you to, you know, like do something dumb, but I didn't see you. Well, you just you picked the right show to come to. <laughs> okay. They weren't all flawless. <laughs> okay, well. You did a great job in the show that we were at. Um, how did you manage all that? Like, what was it like and what did you learn? So, I mean, I think in a lot of the spaces that we go to, um, you don't get a chance to do a lot of rehearsal, right? It's just the way it is in, in church world. You're working with volunteers. So you don't want to ask them to come in, you know, super early. Um, you're managing a lot of people's schedules. And so, you know, you might get a little bit of rehearsal, but not a ton. And let's be honest, like, um, if you're talking about a church like Sunday to Sunday, it's not that different every week. So you don't need to fully rehearse everything all the time. Um, but for this one, we did three, I think three days of rehearsals, mm. you know, a, a day or two with just production and then like a day and a half uh, with the Dude Perfect guys full. I think we probably did a full run through six times. And each time you'd make a little tweak, you'd learn something that you didn't know before. And then even during, once we started the tour, the first like four or five nights, we uh, the second battle segment changed every time, trying to get it locked in. Like, what is it actually going to be? So I think it probably is different now than what it was when you guys saw it. Mm. Um, so we had to kind of make some adjustments along the way. So like, for example, uh, our two, camera three and four were the handhelds that were down in the in the pit, like downstage edge. But if you, if you, if you look, if you can look at pictures of the stage, there's like a main stage, then there's a long thrust down to a B stage kind of, you know, I don't know, 20 yards away. And there's a lot of segments that happen on the B stage, but then there's also some segments that happen up on the main stage. 
and I needed a way to get the handheld cameras to get both of those areas uh, without having to, you know, do a long zoom because then it's going to be super shaky and you can't really get the angles that you want. So we decided to, uh, we're going to run the triax from, so the video world was generally upstage behind the LED wall. We would run the cables from the video world under the stage to the main stage, downstage edge. And then I would get another cable, connect it together, and run it down the thrust to the B stage. So at the beginning of the night, the cameras would be at the B stage, plugged in through the daisy chain of cables, right? Yep. And then during after, after the second segment, they needed to disconnect, move their cameras around the B stage, up to the main stage, take the cables apart, now plug it back into their camera. Um, and so now they're closer to the main stage. If that makes sense, yep, but yep. You know, nothing. It's all the same input on the switcher and the router. It was just getting rid of that extra cable length, um, so they could get to their second position. And then they would do that segment and then move back down to the B stage. So little things like that helped us to be flexible and get in the spots that we need like to get on yes. com. You're reminding them like, hey, go move now. Do all that. Unplug. Plug it back in. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. And it's the you, you do the same thing every night. So everybody kind of learns their patterns. Yeah. But I believe, like as a director, it's better to over communicate than under communicate. Sure, yeah. So I would just say, hey, and reminder: next segment, our next video roll, you guys are going to unplug and go to your main stage position. That kind of thing. Um, were you managing like um, what cameras the guys are looking at, um, or did you just kind of follow them? Did you have a conversation about what cameras to look at when, and from a blocking standpoint? Yeah, a little bit. I think. They so a couple of things we had we we had tally, so okay. they would kind of know which one to follow. Okay, is that was that natural for them? Like they understood that because of what they've done in like creating content. I think natural enough. Okay, I don't think that when they're shooting their stuff for YouTube, I don't think there's tally. Right, you know, it's just every camera's recording and they just write right. it later. Right, um, but I would try to select, for example, I mean. The, they're also talking to all the kids in the room, right? So yeah. they're kind of they're kind of playing the balance of sometimes look at the camera, but most of the time they're looking at the people in the room, which totally makes sense in that in, sure. in that environment. Yeah. Um, but there were certain times where, like, when you're in a big arena, it is helpful to like play to the camera because that more people can experience it, right? If you get a good shot of it on the on the big screen. Um, so like, there is one of the battle segments where um, they would do the longest dunk, which, which they've done on YouTube before. They run, uh, jump on a trampoline, soar through the air, do some sort of trick shot with the basketball, and then there's this line of basketball goals. And the farther away you score, the more points you get. And uh, we had a camera on stage, and I wanted, like, when they land on the mat, I want the camera, like, right up in their face so we can see either the joy because they made the shot or the disappointment because they missed the shot. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, coaching our camera up to, like, hey, get up in there, get, get up there in his face because I want them to know, oh, this camera is right here, and this is how I can best express my emotion to all the fans right now. Um, so some of that we would do. you know, Just make it obvious, this is your camera. Did your camera ops travel with you, or did you have cam ops every night? We had the same ops every night. So like our LED techs and lighting techs would load in, and then they would run camera. Wow. Um, which is super helpful. Because yeah. like, yeah, to do that show with yeah. new camera ops every night would have been so That's hard. why, I, yeah. yeah okay, sure. that makes a lot of sense. Cause, yeah, that helps. Yeah. I can imagine totally. what you're saying on com for people who haven't done it. Yeah. It would have been a very different experience right. if you had different cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. 
Um, well, that's cool. Um, I think just a little bit of, uh, do you know anything about like what the pitch, the, it was just one LED wall. So like, what was the pixel pitch of that thing? Do you remember any of that detail for the people who, you know, are interested and then other gear that you're using? Should have really done some homework. Oh, well, if you don't know, it's so. fine. Uh, I don't know. I know it was a newer Unilumen product. Okay. Um, if I had to guess, it was probably like a three mil. Okay. Cool. I know that it was over a 4K raster for sure. Got it. Um, so there were, yeah, we were running multiple 4K outputs to feed the wall. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, what cameras were just like, uh, we, I mean, I think if anybody has tried to source any gear recently, you know how, how challenging it can be. Mm -hmm. So we had cameras from multiple vendors. Um, so we had, like, I don't remember the model numbers, but the front of house ones were, they were all Sony, uh, but different different models like the the front of house cameras were 4k capable but the handhelds were all uh, like 10 year old models that were 1080i basically mm. um, so the whole system was running in 1080i uh, and i think in hindsight seeing how big that wall was and all the pixels we were pushing like a 4k camera probably a 4k fly pack system would have been nice mm. probably would have helped everything look a lot more crisp um we had a carbonite i had never actually seen this carbonite that we were using okay it was a carbonite multimedia. Okay. Old boy. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Having used a lot of carbonite blacks, carbonite ultra, ultrix, all that kind of stuff, and sit down at this carbonite and you're like, wait, can I do this? No, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. A lot's changed. A lot has changed. Yeah. Um, but it was enough to get the job done. Right. Um, we were able to, to do everything we needed to do. And then... Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Was a pretty standard fly pack from from that side of things. Um, I had not built so camera one and camera two were were really big, beefy builds with seventy by four K box lenses. Mm. You know, so stuff that they use on at sporting events, and building those every day is quite a challenge. I don't know how much one of those lenses weighs, but it is not light. Wow. Um, so it's pretty 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 fun to like get to. Get your hands on, you know, I did not white glove it, even though I did play golf a lot in the morning. Right. Still had to show up at noon and right. build everything out and get it all ready to go. So it's good. Um, it was, it was a good time. Good, good, good. Um, Zach, you got any questions about that? If not, I, I got another topic that's very related. So uh, no, I, I think okay. that everybody with a kid should definitely go see dude. Perfect. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, it's it's awesome. And at the end of it, I mean, there's no secret. Obviously, we talk about churches. So, like, I just love what they do at the end of their show where they're Absolutely. like, hey, if you want to hang around and hear why we do what we do and how they share their and they share their faith in that moment um, is really cool and exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I was not I was not ready for that. You like, didn't know they did that? No. And there was okay. like a moment where I was like kind of tearing up because I was like, this is amazing. Like, it kind of all my emotions were all, I had all the feels as the kids would That's say. Awesome. I love yeah. that they do it. And yeah. At this point, when you're hearing this, the tour is over. Yeah. Um, I love that they do it at the end of the, at the end of the night. And yeah. so it's not like, Hey, you bought a ticket to come see us, but we're going to make you listen to this. Yeah. It's not a bait and switch. It's not forcing it. Right. It's not a bait and switch. It's like, Hey, the show's over. Thank you guys. We love you so much. Hey, if you want to stick around for another five minutes, we'd love to tell you more about our story. Yeah. So it's an invitation, yeah. an optional thing. I think that makes people more receptive to hear it. Yep, I agree. Um, all right, so transitioning to a couple of other 
things uh, or one other thing in particular we wanted to talk about um so a couple of uh weeks ago more more probably a month or more ago you posted on social media uh something about switchers uh you were maybe it's i don't don't remember what gig you were on but you posted something about it was zoo conference okay zoo conference um so uh you posted a question or a survey or something and then you had a lot of responses so and then you were like, Jeremy, we got to talk about this. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, we do. Let's do it. Um, so something about switchers. What was the context of what you posted? And then let's let's talk about some things. So, um, yeah. So I got I got to do the conference, like I said earlier. Incredible time. Really enjoyed it. But when you do a lot of these kind of events, you don't always like for some reason audio guys get to dictate. I want this console, mm. and so do lighting guys. I've never gotten to do that as a video, as a video director. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that I need to work on. Um, but you kind of like, you know, I'm hired in as a director or asked to come be a part of it. Uh, but then some other company generally, I don't, I don't own gear, right? right? So some other companies providing all the equipment, the fly pack and all that. And the company that was um, doing Vue Conference had a black magic rig. And so it was my, really my first time. It's not my first time using black magic switchers and cameras, but it was my first time like really getting there, helping load it in, you know, digging into the, the the details with all these and and trying to make them, you know, perform the best they can. Um, so that was the, that's the context of it. We were using a Blackmagic uh, fly pack. And if I, when I say fly pack, people don't know what that means. It's basically just like, usually it's in racks, usually a switcher, a router, a bunch of cameras, and it's stuff that you can take from show to show. Yeah, kind of fly yeah. in, fly out, set up. Mobile out. video control. Yep. Yeah, so it was black magic cameras and a black magic switcher, CCU controls, router, like end to end a black magic system. And so I just kind of posted that, hey, I'm, you know, getting to do this. And I don't know what I said. I was basically like, I'm as I'm doing it, I'm forming a lot of opinions. Um, and just kind of teased it like that. Cause I, I know a lot of our listeners use it. And I've go to a lot of churches that have black magic equipment. Um, and so I was just kind of sharing this is my first time. I got a ton of feedback, like, hey, please share your Share your opinions. What do you think? Because I, I imagine there's a lot of churches out there that are considering buying some of this stuff, and they want you know to know what's it like. So it was fun to get to use it. Yeah, and frustrating. <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I think you know we really haven't talked about uh, video uh, switchers very much. I think was that m- mostly your post was about switchers, or was it about cameras and and all things, or or the feedback. You know, was it about all things or? Yeah, I think it's about both. Okay. Um, and so the let's just let's do cameras real quick. Yeah. I think that we can do that one pretty quick. So let me preface it by saying we were using the Gen One uh, Ursa broadcast cameras. So uh, this is also one of my beefs with Blackmagic is I feel like they release a new model of everything they make every six months. Mm. That's an exaggeration, but at least every year it's like, oh, here's the new version of our Ursa. Here's yeah. the new version of our. ATM switcher. And so it's really hard to keep up with which models do what. Um, so this one was the generation one first broadcast Ursa. So I don't know, I think that probably came out, I don't know, five or five to eight years ago. Um, but it was a really, really weird camera. Like, I don't know what they were thinking when they made this thing. Mm. So it was a, it, it does not have a broadcast sensor. So it's not a two thirds inch sensor inside. It's a super 16 millimeter sensor. So not quite, it's not super 35, but it's not broadcast, like ENG style. It's somewhere in between. So when you 
but it has interchangeable mounts. So you can put a B4 mount on it and use broadcast lenses, or you could put an EF mount on it and use cinema lenses. But since it's not a Super 35 sensor, you're not actually getting all the advantages that you would get when you put cinema glass on it. So you don't get all you don't get the shallow depth of field as much as you would on a real real Super 35 camera. Um, and it also messed me up on my focal ranges. So I was like specking lenses, thinking this is this is on me. I should have done a better job researching the camera. But it, again, you go to Blackmagic's website and you tell me how to find information. I have no idea. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I specked all these lenses, thinking I would get a certain kind of view. But then I get there and the sensor is a lot smaller than I thought. So then it's it's actually you know what I thought was going to be a wide angle was not wide because the sensor is mm. smaller than I expected. Mm. Um, so that it's just weird that they chose that, yeah. and it's probably why they quickly released Gen Two. Mm. Like, I don't think this camera sold for very long, um, but they then when they updated it, they gave it an actual Super Thirty Five sensor, which makes a lot more sense because with this particular camera, uh, so if I put a cinema lens on it, I don't get full cinema view viewing angles and depth of field but if i put the b4 mount on it so i can use broadcast lenses it has to go through and in the in the mount there's a glass adapter that bends the light so it'll fit on a super third on a two-thirds inch sensor and so those lenses will work which means anytime you have to pass through more glass is you lose light so it's just like super weird if i use it as a cinematic camera it's not truly super 35 but if I use it as a broadcast camera, I'm losing light, and brought, it's already hard to, hard to get enough light in that camera to begin with. So then you're losing another stop or stop and a half of light, which really kind of hosed us. Um, so that was weird. The other thing we, we, came, we ran across is when, so a few of them we did end up using Canon EF mount cine lenses, like the, I think we had the 17 to 120 um, and the 25 to 250 lenses. But those lenses, so they, they're, they're a broadcast-style cinematic lens, right? So they have the little cable connected to it for the 12-pin that's supposed to connect to the camera, like all ENG lenses do. So that's how they get the data transfer back and forth through the CCU so you can control iris and all that stuff. But they, it's also an EF lens, so the mount has little digital pins on it because it's a smart mount. So that, you know, if, you took, if you put that onto a Canon camera, it'll do all that data transfer via the mount. Yep. You don't need the cable. Right. Well, when you plug it into this camera, the Gen, the Gen 1 Ursa broadcast, it doesn't know which port to use. So like we would hook it up and plug the pin in and nothing could not get iris control. Would not would not work. If we then took the lens off but left the cable plugged into the camera, it would work. Huh. So wow. we realized that the the pins on the mount were confusing it and it, it didn't know yeah. How to talk to it. Yeah. So I literally put some E-tape on the pins. I was about to ask if mount. you taped over it. <laughs> taped over it, put it back on the camera, and that's how we ran the whole conference. Wow. Um, you know, probably, I definitely would not recommend that, but we had to do it to get it to work. Um, so just little quirky things like that. Uh, the RCP, like Blackmagic sells a little RCP panel that has four shader units on it. Um, which it's, it's looks nice, works pretty well, but like the RGB dials have no readouts. So you don't really know how much red am I taking out? How much am I adding in? Mm. That's kind of tricky. Um, and then it just doesn't have a lot of the real, like normal broadcast stuff, like detail, gamma, knee, that kind of stuff that you would be accustomed to on a RCP panel. Yeah. So, okay. I, you said short on cameras, but that was a long time. 
I mean, that was a Sorry. lot. That was a lot of information. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, good. It's good. Here's, no. here's the deal. Do not do not buy the Gen One camera. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people have reached out to me and said, "Hey, the Gen Two is way better," and I have used those, and I I would agree that those are much better. So, but just don't buy the Gen One broadcast yeah. camera. Cool. Um. All right. So then, Switcher World. Um. You know, obviously, uh, I have some opinions. I think we've all, uh, the three of us collectively, have spent a lot of time on video switchers. All kinds of different manufacturers, uh, brands, uh, types, all that stuff. So, um, what was, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into a comparison game, but I want to uh, also talk a little bit about your experience and then what your, what your experience was, and then uh, maybe helpful content would be like, hey, what, what do you recommend when you kind of start looking into, you know, Switcher World, um, or what do you value, Rusty? Um, so, I don't know. I, I don't. I, in full disclosure, sure. I don't actually know what you're about to say. So, like, I'm just setting the table. Talk about switchers. Yep. So, what I had at, at this event was a constellation. I think that's called like the, you know, ATEM constellation 8K or something like that. Um, it's been out for a year or two now, but it's still their like flagship switcher. Um, but it had an old, but an older panel. So, I didn't have the new ATEM panel, but one of their older ones. Uh, but I don't think that changed my experience much other than the new one just looks prettier and sexier. Um, but functionally, like it was still a, you know, a constellation frame. So that, let me just preface by saying that's what I had. And I have not used all of them. So I don't know if what I'm about to say is accurate across all the switchers and panels or also just quite possibly I may have just missed some stuff. But this was my experience using it for a week. Probably what we need with the learn, learning here was is we need to make some videos about black magic switchers probably at some point because a lot of people have them and use them so right um i think kind of answer your question though when we talk about switchers in general if i'm a, if i'm talking to a church about what switchers should they get i really need to know what do you want to accomplish because black magic switcher can do a camera cut and do it super well yeah what it cannot do is if you want to do some complicated looks with pips and and two up boxes, or you want to have several different um, settings stored that you want to recall at any given point, or you want to do a lot of custom control macro stuff, like if you're going to have any kind of complexity like that, then I would probably recommend you not get one because it's not going to be the the experience that's going to be easy for volunteers to to do. So it really depends on what you what you need out of your switcher. Um. But I just I wrote, took some notes as the whole during the whole week to try to so I can remember what to talk about. Here's some things that I found about the switcher that were very challenging for me. Um, so my panel was a two me two stripe panel, but the bottom row I could not reassign. It was hard hard patch to be me one. And where that gets problematic is the way that the me's work. Right, I can I can never take me one. On another on another bus. Okay. So, where that gets complicated sometimes is if you want to do you know dual screen control, it made me have to cut cameras on the top stripe sometimes, which I just hate having to reach across a bunch of buttons and cut cameras on the top stripe because I feel like my elbow is going to hit something on the bottom stripe and mess something up. Yep. So I like being able to put my Emmys or my oxes or my buses wherever I want on the panel. What were you using for your Emmys? Like, so you're using, there was a camera cut that went somewhere and something else went somewhere else. Like, what was your setup like? So I think we have, 
the, the switcher has four MEs and we had, so I had a, a main camera cut going to side screens. I had a, another one that went to uh, the media server that was feeding the center LED wall. Um, and then I think maybe there was another one that was going to broadcast uh, to the web. It might've been the same one as my main camera cut. So mainly just two um, for the most part. But sometimes I wanted to send a different camera to, you know, one of the destinations versus the other one. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So you wanted, you wanted to do what's re like reinsertion, like internal reinsert, take ME1 on ME2 or ME2 on ME1. Yes. Yes. And, but you can only, and this is pretty common in switchers. You can only do it one, one way, right? It's it evolved. Technology yeah. is developed now yes. where it, you're not as locked in anymore yeah. to that. Right, right, right. But yes. On this one, if I remember correctly, on ME1, I could take two, three, or four. But you can only go up the chain. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you're on ME4, you can't take any other MEs. Yeah. So the reason is because the way they stack the processing, like, old, right. you know, it's, yeah, hardware technology has evolved where that doesn't, those limitations don't exist as much. Um, but original switchers. That wouldn't have been a problem if I was able to map the panel the way I wanted to map it. Right. If I could put ME2 on the bottom stripe, then that's fine. Right. Yeah. Okay. So moving on. What else? Yep. Um, this one, I've, I've, I've encountered this previously with Blackmagic, and this is just a little annoying thing that bugs the hell out of me. Sorry. I love that. that. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you use a source that's on a shift page, right? So if you, you, know, if you have too many sources, they won't all fit on, on your main row of buttons you can assign one of the buttons to be a shift and then it gives you a whole new row of buttons yep right on those same buttons so you push the shift button and then you, you select a source um, when you let go the way that the panel tells you that that shift source is live is that the button flashes constantly and so the whole time you're using it it's just this flashing light yep. on your panel to, and that, that's how they're telling you that it's a shift source usually the way I've seen people do it is the button lights up and the shift button lights up. Yeah. So you know, you know, this this button that's live is on a shift page. But like just having something flash the whole time makes me think something's wrong. Yeah. Like flashing is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's just super that's just a picky thing for me. Uh I, I realize that how how often I use the auto trans keyer button and that this button that button did not exist on this panel. Okay. So the only way to transition a keyer was to select it in the transition module and then transition it. Gotcha. Or you can cut. There's a cut button. So you can automatically cut a keyer on, but you can't automatically dissolve it. That sounds it. terrible. Right? Yeah. It's like a little thing. Like, just give me a dissolve button. There's a lot of mistakes that can happen in there, especially when you don't press background again. Exactly. And then you go yeah. hit auto trans and just does a key or does a key and the background. There's a lot of, yeah. Yeah. So that was annoying. Um, and then just like the, like the menu structure is just not very good. Um, there is like, you know, software that you can run. But the software, like if you open up the Blackmagic ATEM software, you get like a virtual panel. But that virtual panel does not reflect your actual physical panel. So it's mapped totally differently. But you can go into the settings to try and... Um, yeah, so I think I could not edit my bus map on the software. I had to do it in the switch, in the panel. And then it's just like the little rotary dials and mm -hmm. trying to dig your way through all that. So, you know, that's, that is what it is. Um, 
a few other quick things on the switcher. There's no memories. And I don't know if you haven't used memories, it's probably not a big deal. Yeah. But once you've used memories on a switcher, it, it can be, it's huge. Yeah. You know, like I want to be able to recall a couple of quick looks or recall some keyer settings and there's no way to do that. Yep. Fascinating. Yep. Um, I think a lot, I don't know, some other switchers, the panel might not have memory buttons, but this, the switcher can still do it. So yeah. you can use the software to recall memories. Right. This one had no memories at all. So just that's different. Um, and then the macros, it's it's a very like, it's a very rudimentary macro system. So macros are program program moves that you do that that uh, so you record a series of keystrokes on the switcher, right? Yep. And then you record that, and you can play it back, and it'll do those things with the push of one button. Mm-hmm. Um, let me do an asterisk on that. It's actually not the push of one button on on a Black Magic switcher. I'll come back to that in a second. But so on the macros. I found that I, I could not select an aux and change an aux source as a part of a macro. Okay. That's which seems weird. silly to me. Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't do that. I can't edit. Once you make a macro, you cannot edit it unless you, you know, dig into XML code and I'm not about to do that. So you just end up having to re-record stuff all the time. Um, you whenever you actually do a macro, you have to select the macro you want and then hit the play button. Okay. Um, which I, it's just, I, it's just a workflow decision. I, but I feel like if I'm hitting the macro, I just want the macro to run. Right. Yeah. Automatically. I think that's the way most other switchers do it. Yeah. Most. Yeah. Um, little things like that. Let's see what else. The whole aux selection or the source going to the aux that that's mind blowing that you can't put that in a macro. Right. Yeah. So Rusty, you're all of, I mean, what we just listened, listened for the last five minutes was uh pretty severe. Um, I got, I got another really good one. Okay, go. You cannot put Emmy clean anywhere on the bus map. Oh, interesting. So if I wanted to send, a clean camera cut to a different ME and then apply different keyers to it. Not possible. Wow. Got it. That was big. That was big time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'd be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and then last one, you cannot make tally follow anything other than your main ME one. Oh. So if you, if you send an ISO camera down ME two, they will not get tally. Right. Or if you have a broadcast cut on ME two. Right. Got it. That's interesting. So yeah. all of this is like pretty uh, staunch, like opinions that you have developed, like these, like you can't, there's a lot of, you can't statements that you just had. Um, and I think you're, you develop these can't statements because of the uh, experiences you've had in other switcher brands. So, yeah, true. So like for someone who just has black magic equipment and has always had black magic equipment, the context isn't there for like what you can and can't do. So for you, tell like you've worked with every other, essentially almost every other switcher manufacturer, right? I don't know if there's any that you haven't worked on. So like what these can't statements are pretty specific to black magic. There's not many crossover to saying you can't in any other, like, right. When you classify like all those being unique to black magic based on your I think so. And again, let me preface it again by saying, Someone out there may know how to do some of the things that I just said you couldn't do, and you may be right. Right, and I apologize, but right. that was me. Me playing with it for a week could not do it. Somebody will let you know for sure. Sure, I'm sure, and please do. Yeah, 
but yes, I, I, I think in other switchers, you wouldn't say you can't do it. You'd say you do it differently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because like, I feel like there's a, um, there's a certain like standard, um, no matter what switcher, you know, Panasonic, Sony, Ross, uh, Grass Valley, 4A, there's a certain like, um, functionality that all of them have that are like standard to it. Like taking an aux source in a macro or being able to put a clean on a bus map or being able to have some sort of edit function for macros. Like there's a certain, um, way I, I'm surprised, uh, about some of the black magic can't statements. Um, so what would you say, like, let's turn it around. Like, yes, this what's what, let's try to figure out some helpful information about switchers. Like what were you, what would you be looking for if you're like, Hey, I want a switcher. Uh, what kind of features are you going to be looking for? Like of those can't statements, like here's like the non-negotiable it needs to be able to do type of list. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And Zach, feel free to jump in. Yeah. Know, as please well. do. I mean, I think the clean feed on, on the ME is huge. That That's right. That's crazy. That and the tally to another ME. I mean, especially with how many churches are doing a single frame with multiple MEs doing two completely separate cuts just to, you know, and that's a standard. That's not even a budget thing. That's like becoming a standard now. Now I'm so nervous that like you actually can do it. I just couldn't figure it out. Well, somebody will <laughs> tell fine. you and then we'll be able to yeah. tell everyone and help everyone we'll, else we'll, out. Right, right. Totally. It's true. That's a big deal. I mean, I think you can. I feel like I need memories. Yeah, I don't need to sure. be able to access them on the panel. I need to be able to store some scene files, especially in a volunteer world where I don't know if someone's going to sit down and change some stuff on accident. Yep. I need to be able to recall some stuff pretty easily. Yeah. And rem- memories, memories store the state of like an Emmy or multiple Emmys, their keyers and what's taken in the background layer, you know, what's on, what's off, what's been um, resized and shifted with DVEs. So, kind of like recalls your baseline of like, here's how we function. Um, and it also is a way of saving your work, right? You create some yep. DVE or pip looks and you can recall that. I mean, like every night on the do perfect tour, when we'd set up the switcher, the first thing we did was recall our memory. Yeah. Cause it restored all of our key or states that we used every night. So without that, it would have been rebuilding the show file every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I, I will say that we, uh, I know on the MXU platform, there are some videos that are coming either published or coming about memories and why they're important. So, uh, shout out to that. Anyway. Yeah. The thought of new switcher content that's dropping. Yeah. Um, but this made me realize that like, it probably would be good to do some more specific switcher content for each kind of, uh, switcher. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, like, you know, the good, some of the good things about this switcher was that it's, it's basically a router built in. Mm-hmm. I think it has 40 ins and 40 outs. Right for the price point like that's you can't beat that right um but it's just helpful to know the other limitations of it and i think you're so right if you, if all you've ever used is this it's probably great for you yeah yeah but having used other things and i've developed over the years a workflow that requires these other features uh it was it was a different experience yeah yeah um i'm i'm pretty uh like for me, the the user experience at the panel is really important. So being able to have flexibility at the panel is very important for me to be able to like, I am going to always 
um, manage multiple Emmys at one time. So being able to reassign that, well, I call it a stripe, you know, Emmy stripe or whatever, like your bus stripe. If you're on a mm-hmm. two pan, two stripe panel or two Emmy panel or whatever, be able to reassign that is really important because, you know, managing multiple Emmys, you know, near mm-hmm. one show, that'll that's yeah you know, very important. So, yep. Um, and, and the quickness, right? The speed at which you can navigate and get to things, and then the speed yeah. at which you can teach volunteers, you know, and how intuitive things are is really important. So that's my kind of two cents of it all. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, one thing we did at Elevation even was all the, um, our color scheme, you know, you can have, sometimes you can do, at least on acuity, you know, a certain type of input could be this color, this type of input be this color, where for us, we did the whole stripe was a color. And so this Emmy was this color, this Emmy was a different color. That way there was never any confusion on which Emmy you were actually controlling. Yeah. And I think, yes, I'm a big visual person. So like I am, uh, a visual processor um, in a lot of ways. Like I skim read my wife hates it about me, but um, like I, if I see something visual, like it immediately, like it gives me confidence that that is that thing. So I love that Emmy color uh, thing. So, you know, oh, okay, cool. And you just memorize those colors and it gives you confidence. You know? Yep. Um, I think it would be cool uh, for other folks to be able, I know this, we like super dove into, black magic world and stuff. And I, I'm sure we'll get some feedback and comments. I would love for folks to give us comments either on our personal, uh, social media or on the MXU site, whatever is best for them to do it. But I would love to know like what else people want to know about switchers, right? Like yeah. there's so much to dive into and so many things to talk about and like how you use it. Zach, you're talking about color schemes. Um, like for me, I love coloring custom controls or macros. Like, so, you know, like the red button is always lyrics red custom controls um and then Russ, you talk about memory so i'd love to know like what other people want to know about like what are some best practices like get some feedback so if you're listening to this and you've endured the last uh 50 help us 50 help minutes, you that's right endured the last 50 minutes and heard rusty's rant about black magic tell it tell rusty where he's wrong uh number one please and then uh number two we want to hear some feedback like what do you want to what do you want to know about how can we help you um be better uh, you know, at the end of the day, this podcast is all about us getting better and learning from each other. So, um, we'd love to know, uh, I just, yeah, we just don't have enough time. Every time we record, I look at the time and I'm like, man, this has been a long podcast, but we've people got to go. Jeremy. I know. Gotta get off here. I know. Uh, so there's just so much more, uh, to learn and, uh, and grow from. So, uh, yeah, hopefully folks will listen to it and give us some feedback. Um, any closing remarks from either one of you guys? No, I think just like definitely message us. What what do you want to know about switchers? Because yeah. we might have said some things today that had no context if you didn't know what we were talking about. And a lot of things we talked about today can be very, uh, or very simple, but can be very useful in, in someone's workflow. Yep. Yep. I also say, make sure you listen to the frame rates and um, uh, lenses podcast because that'll give context to Rusty talking about lenses and lens conversion and all that stuff. And that's fine. I welcome it. I would say if you're not an MXG subscriber for the content, you should check that out because a lot of switcher videos that are dropping, uh, have dropped or are dropping soon. Um, I think would give a lot of context to a lot of this conversation and help you figure out what questions to ask if you're just totally lost, um, which I have been there. So don't feel any shame for that. And um, other than that, come see us on tour. Yeah, that's right. Live tour coming up September. Get your tickets.
It'll be fun. All right. Well, that's it for now. I'm sure we'll have more of these Switcher conversations in future episodes, but for now, talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya. If you've seen or heard anything from MXU, you've probably gathered that we care deeply about helping you create healthy teams. We know that you have a lot on your shoulders, but you don't have to bear it all alone. MXU can come alongside you to help you recruit volunteers and bring them on board in a healthy way. With our platforms, you gain back valuable ministry time as we take over the bulk of training from entry level to advanced concepts in audio, video, and lighting. Keeping your team healthy should be a priority at any church, and a healthier team means a healthier you. Start building a healthy team at getmxu.com.